Patricia, it's great to have you with us. Why don't we put our hands together again and... Uh... Thank you. Some of us, uh, Patricia, will know of you. Some of us may have met you when you've been here at Fig Tree previously. But for those perhaps who have not met you, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? I'll give you the quick version. Okay, I was born in Sri Lanka, in the tea plantations of Sri Lanka. Can we just have slides where we're starting? Okay, I was born in the tea plantations of Sri Lanka. My father was what's called a tea, tea maker. He was in the tea factory. It was during the British Raj, during the last dying years of the colonial ownership of our country. And I went to medical school, which is a bit of a rebel because I was being brought up to be a good arranged marriage, but a bit of a rebel, went to medical school, then did my postgraduate study in Hawaii. That's where I kind of got into sex, because my professor was a sexologist, and a sexologist, for those of you who may not know, is somebody who studies about sex, reads about sex, writes about sex, researches sex, and does sex therapy. That's like 24-7. My son says that's why he's an only child, because I didn't have time for practicals. Anyway. <laughs> So after that, went back to Sri Lanka. I was a sex therapist there for six years, 20 million population, busy times. And 35 years ago, my husband and son and I moved to Australia. So I've been an academic with the University of Sydney for 24 years, retired at the age of 64, which is now 12 years ago and can do the arithmetic then. And I thought I'll do things that people do in retirement, mm -hmm. like travel and knitting, and, but God had completely different ideas. So if any of you are close to retirement, be careful what you pray for, because you pray to God and say, use me, he tends to do so. So since retirement, I've been speaking and writing about sex and gender and all that for churches, schools, youth groups. Yeah. Good on you, Patricia. Um, we're delighted to have you here. We're particularly delighted uh, to have, in recent weeks, been able to um, encourage one another to read the book that you co-wrote with Kamal, your son, and with Rob Smith, a dear friend, um, for a biblical, biological, and compassionate response. You're here to give us a presentation today. Um, how thankful we are as well that God has spoken through the forefathers, through the prophets, and in these last days in the person of his son. And isn't it a delight that we have the scriptures of old, which confirm uh, that God made them male and female, and then in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus, confirms that God made them male and female. And then there's an end game about which we're going to hear a little bit more later. I'm going to hand over to you, but may I pray with and for you first? We're going to pray for Patricia. Would you bow our heads? And uh, let's pray. Father God, we rejoice to know the love of the Lord Jesus lavished upon us as your precious ones. We thank you that you love the world in this, that you gave your only Son, that whomever may believe in him would not perish but have life and life eternal. And we thank you, Father God, that whilst we live and inhabit a world that oftentimes seems so out of alignment with what you have revealed in your word and sometimes out of alignment with what you've revealed in creation, that there is an end game that the Lord Jesus has promised to return in glory. And as we anticipate that day when we will truly be at home forever, we pray that you would ready us in every way for the conversations that you would have us have, for the interactions that you would have us have, and the communities of which you'd have us be part, that we might speak wisdom in a way that is both winsome and true. 
We thank you for our dear sister Patricia. We pray that you would be with her and that you would soften our hearts, that we might receive things that you would have us know, and that we would be ready for action to speak truth in love at every opportunity and give reason for the hope that we have in our Lord Jesus. Be with our dear sister and be with us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Patricia. Over to you. Well, thank you very much for having me here. It's a real pleasure. And I listened to the videos of your last few weeks, and it's lovely to you know, see the book being waved around every week. So thank you very much. I really appreciate that support, because this is not an easy area to be working in and speaking in right now. So my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, sex and gender are deeply personal issues. And there may be some here, even some who are struggling with these issues. And you might be finding yourself here and thinking, why am I here or what's going to be said? It may be even painful, even confronting some of the things we will be talking about. I just want to assure you that our writing and my words today are not against people struggling with sex and gender concerns. What we speak against is the ideology of gender that confuses and misleads the most vulnerable, especially our young people and our children. Our core message is that love, compassion, and hope are found in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what transgender ideology falsely promises, only Jesus can truly provide. And therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, I would ask you to listen to what we are going to talk about today with an open mind and a soft heart, praying that God would use my words to just bring us this clarity that we need in our church, in our times. So, we've already had the Bible read to us, and so i just go through this very briefly. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation gives us a wonderful, healthy order for gender, sex, relationships, for our very body. We heard read that God created in his image man and woman. My dear brothers and sisters, we live at a time when even the very definition of woman is called into question. God created Adam and Eve, Eve, a woman, an adult human female. Three words, how difficult is that definition? A adult human female with the body parts and genitalia and the gonads, the ovaries, and the potential to produce what we call large gametes or ova. That is a woman. And God created woman, man, brings them together beautifully complementary, and in that coming together, the naked, no shame, the bringing together of true diversity, we have peace and harmony. Unfortunately, in Genesis 3, we know there was a tragic disordering of God's good pattern and God's good intentions 
a misalignment of our very desires. You can read Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things. Matthew 15, Jesus speaks to out of the heart come evil thoughts and adultery, immorality. And so our biology, as we heard in the Matthew reading on eunuchs, our biology is misaligned. Our very desires are misaligned. And as we would read in Romans chapter 1, our choices we make are not always aligned with God's good purpose for our life. So in our time together, I just want to introduce you to three concepts. Firstly, using the tree, and I love speaking here because you have your own tree. So we use a tree to firstly talk about God's good design for sex and gender, which is in keeping, wonder of wonders, with biology. And that good tree, and then I want to talk a little bit about how transgender ideology has disrupted this tree and challenge us to think, what then should we be doing? And how can we talk to this confused, sad world when it comes to gender and gender ideology? So let's talk, start off by looking at the tree of harmony and peace. Our tree of peace and harmony is made up of a root system. Now, any tree needs that good root system to be grounded firmly. And our bodies, our gender, our relationships, our sexuality is good and wholesome, grounded in God's good word and in our biology. When it comes to biology, we're talking about what happens in the womb of our mother. Your sex, my dear brothers and sisters, we can call it biological sex, but just sex is what we talk about, is determined when sperm and ova meet in conception. This is like daddy's producing millions of sperms and mom's got one ovum and one sperm makes it, yoo-hoo, made it. And at that moment, your sex is determined. From that time, through life, you are a sexed human being. You scratch yourself and a few cells fall off. Those cells are sexed cells as man, woman, male, female. Now, so sex is determined at conception. It can be observed. Parents, you know, you know all the ultrasound where you observed what was developing and only confirmed when the baby is born. That is the good root system. King David wrote in Psalm 139, you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. When I'm talking to, tea, to youth, I say, you know, God knit you in your mother's womb and your parents were definitely not knitting. So that's the root system. From there, we have the trunk of biology and the branches of our lived experience. And what do we have there? We have what we call gender expression or gendered behavior. We use our bodies to do things in a particular way. Now, 
This can be studied in cultural ways, studies and sociological studies, call it masculine, feminine, the way we present, all this is our gendered behavior. Now, this is, there is a biological foundation even to our gendered behavior. It's largely influenced by culture, family. Then we have what we call sexual orientation. This is whom am I attracted to? Who do I feel like having sexual intimacy with? And that's a desire, an attraction. Always keeping in mind that a desire, an attraction is influenced by what your choices are. You can desire something, but behavior is always a choice. And so that too we can study in the laboratory. We can even study arousal patterns in people. You can ask me after service, I can give you more information. But these things can be studied. Biology can be studied. Expression, behavior can be studied. We can study who people are attracted to. But when it comes to gender identity, this new concept, these feelings of my inner self, this is completely subjective. There is no objective research that can be done. We cannot do any research. It is only this inner, some people even call it an inner soul, or inner declaration of who I am. And this is considerable inner feeling. Now, pattern. Now, sometimes, whoops, sorry, sometimes there are variations in this pattern. Now, we must be very clear. Variations do not negate the good pattern. So we looked at a good pattern as created. Adam, Eve knew who they were, attracted to each other, their behaviors were right. And then, of course, Genesis 3 comes in, and we have variations. But variations do not negate creation and biology as male, female. Binary stays the same. Let me talk to you a little bit about the variation. Let's talk about the womb. Male, female development in the womb. In about 0.018%, that's a very few, Babies are born without that clear male-female development of the genitals happening. And so you have what we call ambiguous genitalia. This is where they're not quite male or female. But the, there's still the binary pattern remains. Now, this is really important for us to understand. It's called a disorder of sex development. Disorder, that's the word. The common word is intersex, and there you see the confusion. Intersex kind of hints that there's male and female and something in between. Wrong. There is male and female, and there are this tiny percentage, 0.018% of disorders. Therefore, there is no third sex. There are only sperms and ova. There is no third gamete. There is only male and female. There is no third sex. There is male, female, and disorders of sex development. 
There is male and female, and just because there are a few disorders, it doesn't mean sex is a spectrum. You cannot be born in the wrong body. I live in a place, in a unit where the bedroom has ceiling to floor mirrors. I get up in the morning and I look at myself and look not very pretty. But it is the body God has given me. I can't be in the wrong body. You can never change the body you are given. You cannot change sex. Sex is determined at the moment of fertilization. We need to be very clear about this. You cannot have a boy brain in a girl body or a girl brain in a boy body. This cannot be. There is research to show that this cannot be. So that's variations there. What about in the trunk of biology, puberty? You know, some of you look young enough, all of you can remember your puberty. At puberty, when secondary, the hormones kick in, secondary sexual characteristics happen. Now, secondary sexual characteristics vary. You can only look at each other to know that. We all look different because we grow, our bodies are different. There is variations in the way the body is structured. Now, just because there are variations in secondary sexual characteristics does not mean that sex is a spectrum. Now, I'm telling you these things because the ideology uses these to say sex is a spectrum. Let's move on from there to behavior, gendered expression. I said we use our bodies in particular ways to do things. That's If we look at a large proportion of male and female, so forgive the busyness of the slide, I was just trying to give you all these concepts of variation. If you look at the, of course, it's pink is girls and blue are boys. You will find, if you look at the personality preferences and behaviors, there's about 30% overlap between male and female. As you know, there are some boys who are kind of do things that are stereotypically female, or some girls who would do things that are stereotypically boys. But look again at that. There is that little edge of the graph where you, the curve, where you see that there will be some boys who actually are more effeminate than the majority of the girls. And some girls who are actually more boyish than the majority of the boys. Now, these are the tomboys. I was one. Growing up in a tea plantation, conservative Tamil Christian family wanted me to go into an arranged marriage, but my brothers were out there climbing trees and having fun. Why would I want to be a girl? So I would beg my mommy, can I be a boy? Can I go back and come back as a boy? And she said, we'll talk about it later, darling. Come help me with the cooking for now. <laughs> so the reality is that this is, this is behavior. And behavior varies. We don't have to hold children to stereotypes. We need to be very aware of this. We'll come back to this on the next slide. So we have behavior, we have biology, and then we have orientation. Now we are all aware 2 to 3% of the population are not attracted to the other sex, but attracted to the same biological sex lesbian, gay, some bisexual. Now, again, I stress here, and we're not going into this in detail here, but this is an attraction. 
always remember that behavior is a choice. Now, of course, there's gender identity. As I said to you before, I gender identity, transgender, this disjunction between my real reality of my body and my feelings of who I, have, who I am, there's been a small percentage through history. I worked in the, what we at that time, 1980, we called the transsexual clinic, and we would have a few biological males, adults coming through, who would clearly say, I am a male, but I want to be a woman, look like a woman. Adult males, we call, and all, often they would be cross-dressing, so transvestites. So they were always there, variations, but always the binary reality. So what's happened? Why are we where we are now? This is our cultural moment. Radical expressive individualism. For those of you who are readers, thank you, Carl Truman. I, my body is mine, my feelings trump everything else. That is really the bottom line. We live in a world of sexual liquidity where even the body is malleable and we find a true authentic self based on our inner voice of feeling and we have to live it out, otherwise we will not be happy or find contentment. Therefore, we have a self-declared gender which is supposedly immutable and still can be changed as we desire it. And sex is socially constructed. So biological sex is now socially constructed, assigned by the parents and the doctors, and only you know who you are. Biology is bigotry. So where do we end? We end in our world today of the transgender phenomenon that I like to say stands on three shaky pillars. A neo-language, a terminology that reframes reality and establishes a pseudo-vocabulary, some would say even a pseudo-religion. We struggle to define woman. A conflation of all these categories we talked about, biology, behavior, orientation, a conflation of all these into a mishmash, and the establishment that feelings are immutable and reality needs to be changed to fit individual feelings. So where do we end? We end up with a tree that is cut off from its root system. And so you have two S, L, G, B, T, Q, Q, I, E, A, and lots more, which of course you all know, but it's two spirits, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer questioning, intersex, asexual, eunuch, yes, eunuch has now been added, plus, 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 up to about 100, and neo-pronouns, and people's dead names, and all this thrown into this mishmash of a new language cut off from the root system, this fantastical entity of gender identity takes over the whole tree. Everything being reframed and reinterpreted through this lens of identity. Subjective emotions, not objective reality. 
takes over our very being. So sex is said to be assigned at birth, assigned female, assigned male. Your children, your grandchildren will be using these terms. The body is incidental and can be changed to suit what I wish. Behavior then becomes indicative of identity. So the little tomboy, which I was, is told, you must be a boy. The little effeminate boy who likes music and dancing and maybe why wearing pink is told, you must be a girl. This is what your children are learning or your grandchildren. That biology is bigotry. Your parents just assigned you a, a male or female. Only you know. And you need to tell your parents who you are. This is what your children are learning in primary and sometimes even in preschool. Orientation. Lesbians are now being told, and you need to stay with me here, that a biological male who declares that he's a female and declares that he's a lesbian is a female lesbian. And therefore, a lesbian who is a biological woman and attracted to other women must be sexually attracted and willing to be intimate with him because he declares he's a woman and a lesbian. And if she doesn't, then she's transphobic and bigoted and etc. everything else that she can be called. This is where we are. And so this gender identity and the new names and the pronouns, this is only just a few. The commonest is gender non-binary, which is I'm not, neither a male nor a female. Now, most who say gender non-binary, what they're really saying is I don't want, don't fit the stereotype of male or female. Now, we are therefore seeing a new population. We told you 1980, few adult men. What we are seeing is an exponential rise of teenagers, mainly girls and children, coming out and saying, I'm trans. So transgender, this disjunction, a few of a small percentage would say, I am distressed and need to do something about the distress. Now, distress is real. Never hear us say that there is no distress. People, children, teens, adults are distressed. But the distress is a symptom. Think iceberg, tip of the iceberg. Under the water lie a huge set of symptoms that present as gender dysphoria. Teenagers, complex time. Anyone who's brought up a teen, you know how your little child turns into an alien? That's teenage. Looking for identity is absolutely normal. Are we pointing them to an identity that is given in the Lord Jesus Christ? Otherwise, they're going to find it in transgender. That's the identity that the world offers them. Social media, peer group, a solution to everything, to teenage angst, to the dislike of the body, children, 
clear, clear correlation with autism, neurodivergent conditions, children struggling with same-sex attraction, children who have some kind of trauma, clear relationship. There is no trans child. There are children who are uncomfortable with their body for very many reasons. So what can we do? How do we manage this distress? The world, and maybe the New South Wales Parliament, if the bill goes through, will tell us that the only way we should do it is to immediately affirm. So the little girl who says she's a boy, or the teenage girl who says, I am a boy, must be affirmed. And you must socially transition the person, then give them drugs, puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones. By the way, you cannot block puberty. Puberty is not like a Spotify tape where you can press pause and then take your finger on. No, no, no. These drugs have huge side effects. And then go into surgery. This is what the world says. This is what your children are hearing. This is what they have been handed out as a solution, a panacea to every problem of teens and childhood. We need to consider, are we going to stand by and let this happen to our children? Or are we going to actually get there and say there is a better way? There are ways of exploring this what underlies the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg. We call it gender exploratory therapy. Can we get out there and help people with that feelings of discomfort? And as Christians, can we challenge people in Christ, help them to live with the distress, knowing that we await a final healing and a final true peace? This, my dear brothers and sisters, is our challenge. Complacency is no longer an option. This is too immediate, it is too important, and the church cannot stand by. The Lord Jesus Christ comes back today, he would want us to be in the culture, speaking to this phenomenon. I start with my trifecta of clarity conviction through the lens of compassion. Hopefully in the short time, you know all about it. Clarity, conviction, four weeks of conviction on the word of God, but always with compassion for personal distress, knowing that there's so much of underlying pathology. How do we do that? We are the community of care. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be that hospital for sinners, including us, where we can offer triage to all these disturbed people, every sinner. We are the hospital for sinners. Maybe for too long some of us have been like a church of, I'm not saying I know Fig Tree for some time, and I know you are a wonderful community-oriented, caring church, but maybe we have been too much like a five-star resort for the righteous. And the time now is we need to be that home where people who maybe have transitioned and have what we call detransitioned and are struggling with what have I done 
can find a home. We are people who are struggling with gender identity concerns, or their children or their grandchildren can find a home. Where it is, people can feel free to share their pain rather than feel ashamed and cover it up. My dear brothers and sisters, we don't have that community. The LGBT community are out there just so happy to provide it. Even for your children, the glitter families are waiting to provide them a family if we don't. So we need to be catechizing, educating our children from a very early age. But all this, we need to remember that on the word of God, we cannot celebrate, compromise, or affirm that which God says is sin. So my dear brothers and sisters, that is my message to you. Love the Lord your God. Stand on the conviction of his word, but have deep compassion for the people who are struggling with sexual and gender issues, drawing them to the cross, just as we kneel at the cross with all our sinful desires. And just because we love you so much, we write a lot of resources. I don't know how many books are left, but we've written for teens and puberty, especially for primary schoolers. There's one book in the set called Understanding Gender. And for preschoolers, we've written a book about the body called You and Me by the Book. I'll be outside if anyone would like to come and chat. That's my email and contact. Thank you for having me, and may God bless you all. Thank you. If you would just be kind enough to stay up on the platform for one more moment, I'm going to invite my wife out. We've just got a little something to say. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, we rejoice to stand with you, sister. And um, I'm going to lead us in prayer. Yippee. Let's pray together. Gracious God, loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for the partnership in the gospel that we share with our dear sister Patricia. We thank you, Father, for the way in which she has helped us this morning to gain clarity in her presentation, to help us understand the culture in which we live, which is so confused, but also to be affirmed in the biblical convictions in which we share. We pray that you would imbue in us your heart of compassion for those who are lost and so desperately need to know the love of the Lord Jesus and to find fulfillment of identity in him. There might even be some amongst us today, Father, for whom this has been a hearing for the first time. Be gentle with us, Lord God. We seek your forgiveness for our sins. We thank you for sending Jesus to die for us. And we would ask, please, that you would continue to shape us together by your spirit for your glory. Help us, Father God, as your people, as your church in this world, to continue to commend the love of Christ above all.